So Christ, our reconciler, that's what we're looking at this morning, and our text is Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to verse 23. Now in 2003, the Black Eyed Peas and Justin Timberlake released a song where they asked the world an interesting question. Where is the love? Now most of you are thinking, the Black Eyed who? <laughs> well, that's okay, that's okay. I, I don't expect most of you to know them. You probably might know Justin Timberlake, but you probably don't know who the black eyed who, huh? Uh, so, yeah, a few lines from the song they released. It says this People killing, people dying, children hurt, and you hear them crying. Will you practice what you preach? And will you turn the other cheek? A bit of slang there. Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above because people have got me questioning where is the love? The song is, if you've heard it many times than I have, the song is partly a lament on the lack of peace in the world. But it is also a prayer to God, asking God, Father, Father, help us. It's asking God to send some help from above. It's a prayer for peace. All of us, we don't expect who I am to (laughs) be writing prayers. But yeah, it is. It's a prayer for peace. And all of us can identify with this cry for peace. And nations all around us are at war. There's war in Syria, Afghanistan, wherever you look, Yemen. There is also crime around us. There's no peace in our, where we live. You just have to open up the news shopper, any newspaper, uh, from John Warboys to whoever is doing the killing, they're doing the, the crime, there's so much crime around us. Relationships in our communities are fractured, not just by the politics, but just generally we are fractured. Many of us are at war with our neighbors. We don't really know our neighbors. That's not a real peace, really, is it? A fractured relationship. And all of us, we don't just face lack of peace outside, we lack peace inside. The pressures of life often rob us of inner peace. A death of a loved one like we'll be thinking about on tomorrow. Struggles in our families. Children at war with their parents. Huge disagreements. Children, uh, people at war with their spouses. The lack of peace inside of us robs us of peace. And of course, so many of us struggle from mental and physical illness that just robs us of peace. The list is endless. There's no peace outside, and often there's no peace in our own heart. So the black-eyed peace are right. Uh, We are desperate for peace. Father, Father, help us, they say. But they're actually wrong to utter that prayer. Why are they wrong to utter that prayer? They're wrong to ask God to send us peace. Why? Because God has already done it. They're oblivious to the fact that that prayer for please send us peace. Peace has already come. The Bible says the peace we need is actually a person. Christ Jesus. That's why Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, which we look at this evening, the letter to the, to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, he says this, He himself is our peace. Amazing, isn't it? All the world's longing for peace, all your longing for peace now is answered in this person, Jesus. 
is found in him. And the peace of Christ is offered to each one of us through his death on the brutal Roman cross. And this is the good news of Easter. Easter says peace has come to the world, to you. And my task this morning is to show you how the crucifixion of Jesus brings true peace or reconciliation. So look with me at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. I'll just read those verses again. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. There are three truths I just want to share from this passage which are in your, set out in your outline. The first truth that Paul is sharing with us here is that everyone needs reconciliation. Everyone here, everyone outside, needs reconciliation with God. The Bible says we are born into this world as enemies of God. And that situation only changes when we actively trust in Jesus. That's what verse 21 to 22 is telling us. And you, that is the Colossians, who were once, were, once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Paul is saying that before the Colossians trusted in Jesus, they were these things he describes in verse 21. And this is a situation for all who do not trust in Jesus. We are these things. This is the natural condition of everyone by nature. Look, look, look what our Paul describes the natural condition of human beings. What does he say in verse 21? He says, once before you knew Jesus, you were alienated. Alienated. What does that mean? Well, the word actually means that they were strangers or foreigners from to God. And human beings and God are like two people living on two different planets. We don't know God in our natural condition. But it is worse than that. Us and God walk on different sides of the road. We are born enemies of God. Look again at verse 21. Not just alienated, he says, who once were alienated and what? Hostile in mind. Hostile in mind. It's like this. We come into this world like those children who were born under ISIS in Syria. When they were born under ISIS, they were born what? Hating the worst. When they were born, all they know, all they learned was hatred of the worst. And its values, our values. You might even say that when most of the children are born, their allegiance is determined at birth. They don't have a choice as such. So from birth, most of them are groomed to become ISIS soldiers. It is saying, Paul is saying, in the same way, all of us, including our precious little ones, come into this world prepared to take up arms against God. As I thought about this truth and that, Looked at Abigail, I thought, it is a sobering truth, isn't it? Our dear precious little ones come into this world as enemies of God, hating God. It's sobering. 
It is also surprising. By the way, that's what matters. You've got to pray for those little ones. That God, by his love, draws them to himself. It is surprising, isn't it? This truth. As I thought about it, it sobered me as I looked at Abigail. But it also surprised me. Because doesn't the Bible say belief in God is natural? Doesn't the Bible say belief comes natural to us? In fact, it does. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In other words, every one of us has evidence that God is there. We have all we need to believe in him through general revelation. So there's some sense in which believing in God is natural. But you see, Paul does not end there. Look how Paul continues into verse 21 of Romans 1. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, what Paul is saying is that knowing God exists just makes us hate God more. All of this evidence doesn't make us want to love God more. It makes us hate God more. That's why the presentation of the gospel to people is rejected outright. Because the more people hear about who God is, the more they hate him. Why? Because we are born sinners. We rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. Go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And it says, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing what? Doing evil deeds. Oh, friends. Let's pause on that. When that verse says we're doing evil deeds, it's not just saying that the things we do, we do evil things. It is saying that even the good we do is evil to God because we are fundamentally corrupt. Our spiritual DNA is evil. All the good things you do, loving your kids, helping the poor, attending church, are all perfumed with the vile stench of your sinful nature. God cannot enjoy these things. Why? Because you are at war with him. It is like this. Imagine a man divorces his wife today. And then a day later, he goes and buys her a present. The same woman is divorced. What would the woman think? The woman would think, what an insult. What an insult. You've divorced me, and now you're buying me a present. You see, the good even does looks like a calculated insult. And that is how our good deeds, without repentance, towards God do. The non-believers, with even the good it does, heaps more insult on God. Why? Because the good deeds are evidence that he knows something of God, yet he doesn't want him. It's evidence that we are his enemies. Our good deeds cannot get us right with God. We know we are enemies against God because the Bible tells us. But we also know because we sense this enmity in our hearts. Our conscience tells us that we, we are not living as we should. Do you ever feel guilty for something you think or say or do? I do. I don't need anyone to tell me that what I did was wrong. Sometimes I'll say something, I'll say, oh, I should have said something else there. 
Oh, I didn't quite say it as, I, as honestly as I should. Or oh, I shouldn't have reacted that way. That's my conscience telling me that it's not right between me and God on that issue. That's a guilty conscience that whispers to every individual. Your guilty conscience is an alarm of war. It is telling you that all is not well between you and God. Your sin has made you an enemy of God. And our war against God demands that God, the righteous judge, punishes us for our sins. And God will not rest until he does. Romans chapter 1 again, verse 18. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It is saying God is pouring his great wrath on each one of us. Therefore, we desperately need to be reconciled to God, to make peace with God. This is what reconciliation means. It means peacemaking. And the Bible says we cannot make peace with God because what? You are a spiritual criminal. In the car park there, I meet so many people going and have conversation with them who are going to the court here. One guy was there in the car park and he went to the court and he says, you know, he's been stuck there for a while. Well, he was parking, by the way, where he was not supposed to park. But he was there the whole day. I said, what are you in for? He says, I'm here for the magistrate's court and I'm here for the family court. I'm doing the whole lot, he said. And he's just at the mercy of the judge. He says, he has no money. He just he needs to just, the judge, the case, the, case, the case keeps being moved. He's at the mercy of the courts, he told me. And that's the state of all of us. We can make peace with God the judge. We are at his mercy. We are spiritual. And you know what? We don't even want to. We know we are sinners, but we don't want to do anything about it. Why? Because sin is so natural to us. The other day, on Friday, I had a busy week. On Friday, I was at the crematorium at Elton. And I was there talking to people at the crematorium. Now, I don't go there to the crematorium quite often, but so much death around me, right? And I'm like, death. But when I'm speaking with the guys, they're all laughing and smiling, the people who work there. Why? I said, what an odd thing. This is all death around them, these guys work here. They're so conditioned to it. The man cracks a joke, and uh, I guess I have to laugh at the joke, but I'm not sure. That's the state of the human beings, isn't it? We are like that. Sin has conditioned us that we can hear sermon after sermon about our sin. It's just ringing, ringing, ringing. Oh, I pity it sometimes, I think. Those who are born, of course, in Christian families sometimes. Why? Because their minds become so conditioned to hear the truth and they harden and harden and harden. It's grace, yes, to be born in a Christian family. But at the same time, it can harden your heart. You can become like those guys in the morgue. That no matter what truth you hear, you just can't respond to it. You can't respond to it. We cannot make peace with God because we are spiritual criminals and we naturally hate God and don't want But here is the amazing thing. Christ offers us peace. He offers us reconciliation with God through his death. And this is our second truth. The second truth is that Christ reconciles us to God by his death. Christ reconciles us to God by his death. You see, the heart of God beats for peace. God is a loving creator and he's not happy for you 
to live in rebellion against him. He's not happy that someone he has fashioned in his image hates him. Friends, God is not cheering you on to hell. He wants you to be restored. He wants each one of us to be restored to him. And so out of sheer love, he has sent his son. He has taken the initiative to reach out to us, coming in the person of Jesus, to reconcile us to himself. Let's look at verse 21, 22 again. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, what has God done? He, that is Christ, has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This verse is saying that Christ reconciles us to God by doing what? Paying the damage of that breach of peace that has occurred between us and God. We are at war with God, and the penalty for being at war with God is death. Because Romans 6 verse 23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. So this is what we hold God. For our rebellion against him. But we are criminals. We can't pay the penalty. We don't even want to. We are not interested. So Jesus has come. God has sent him to put his head on the chopping block for us. He has taken the punishment, the guillotine of the cross, to remove our hostility to God. But the death of Jesus does more than just removing hostility. Look again at verse 22. He says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death on the cross. In other words, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul is saying that Jesus does not just take away our enmity, enmity with God. He offers us to be one with him. To present us to him Now, it is like this. We have offended God, our next door neighbor. But God is is now reaching out to us. He's not just offering to stop phoning the police for having parties all night. You know, we have parties. We live next door to him. And we have parties all night. But God is reaching out to us. He wants peace between our two houses. So it's not just now saying, I'm not going to call the police on you for these parties. He's saying, you can move in with me now. God has knocked down the wall that separated our two houses. I know, we wouldn't do it for for anyone, would we? (laughs) But God has done that for us. He's knocked down that wall of separation. And he's asking us to come over and be one family. That's what Paul is getting at here. This is the reconciliation that God offers us in Christ right now. And this is now when Paul says to present us holy and blessed before him, it is in the present tense forever. To be set apart is what holiness means, to be holy. To be blameless means like as if we have never sinned. This is what God is offering each one of us. Right now, if you trust him, you can be made holy and blameless before God. It is an amazing offer. It is an an amazing deal. It is the only deal in town, in fact. So grab it with both hands. The death of Jesus is a peace offer from God. But notice one thing. Peace cannot be forced on us. Just like you can't force marriage on anyone. Well, some, some cultures they do. 
But normally you can't force marriage. I mean, you can't, can't force anyone to marry you, really. They may marry you legally, but they won't marry your heart. We, we have, therefore, even peace, we must accept it. And this is our final point. So everyone needs reconciliation with God. Point number two, Christ reconciles us by God, to God by his death. How should we respond to this? Well, we receive reconciliation with God by faith. By faith. That's what Paul is saying. The key requirement for in receiving and enjoying reconciliation with God is faith. Look at verse 23. Paul says, Christ will present us holy and blameless before him if indeed, if conditional, you continue in the faith. We must have faith. We must be in the faith. We must have faith in God. Not faith in anything but faith in Christ and his death for your sins. Faith, by the way, is defined in verse, earlier verses, I think verse 4. Um, Paul there talks about the, uh, their faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, the faith here is faith in Christ and his death for your sins. Let us be clear, no one is going to heaven who does not have faith in Jesus and his death for us. John 3 verse 16 says this, you know this by heart, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son that whoever does what? Believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Belief and faith in the Bible are the same thing. So what is faith? I think it's better to be clear first about what faith is not. True faith is not a feeling. You can have good feelings about Jesus, but they're just feelings. Feelings come and go. Sometimes I feel good about God. Sometimes I'm like, oh, God, what are you up to? Yeah, I feel distant from him. Feelings is no faith. They're just feelings. Paul is not saying, have good feelings about Jesus. No. And true faith is not simply knowing facts about Jesus. Knowing that Jesus reconciles us to himself by his death is not enough. It's not faith. Satan knows that truth and he trembles. Satan is a better theological expert than you. Fact. He knows the Bible better. I suspect he even reads it better than you do. His mornings are probably taken up trying to understand just what God is up to. But he's not interested in God. He knows the Bible better than you, but he has no faith. (coughs) Knowing the Bible is not faith. True faith is not baptism either. I mean, so many people who ground their faith in Christ in baptism, it is not faith. Simon the magician in Acts 8 was baptized by the amazing deacon Philip. Amazing. He was baptized. But he was not converted. He wasn't. Read for yourself Acts 8. In other words, you can be baptized without having any faith, true faith in Christ. So, so it's possible you have been baptized, but you have no true faith in Christ. Therefore, you need to know what true faith is. What is true faith? Well, true faith involves your head, your heart, and your will, all united and combined. The whole person turning to Christ in complete surrender. Abandoning all for Christ. You must see yourself first as a sinner 
and you must see that the wages of your sin is dead, and you must run to Jesus, you know, take, you know, if you like, reach out for the keys in your pocket, and hand over the keys of your life to Jesus. Surrender. Jesus, you're running everything now. That is what true faith is. And what is the evidence of this true faith? The evidence of this true faith is that you are broken free with sin and now growing in your faith in Christ. It's there in verse 23. Look at that. If indeed you continue in the faith, says Paul, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Paul is saying a reconciled faith is a continuing faith. It is a growing faith. You know, people like to tell me, as a pastor, you meet all sorts, I have to tell you. And people like to tell me when they first became Christians. They like to tell me the date and the man when they came to Christ. I am not interested. To be honest, I'm not. I'm not interested in the date or time you came to Christ with. I am more interested in this question. Are you trusting in Jesus now? And is there true evidence of change? Is your faith real and growing? Because you see, if you are what you have always been, you are not a true Christian. True faith in Jesus changes the direction of living. We live for Jesus now. Every day we start growing to become more like Jesus. The desires of Jesus are transforming our desires. His priorities are shaping our priorities. The direction of living has changed. Friends, as you sit here this morning, do you have this faith? Are you trusting in this faith, this continuing faith? Are you trusting in Jesus as a hymn writer say, this very hour? Because if not, you need to turn to Jesus now and be reconciled. Do not put your confidence in baptism, church attendance, or your good works. Be reconciled to God now. And then, of course, get baptized as a sign of your trust in Christ. Don't continue hostility to God. Come to Jesus. Surrender to him now. Right now, you will have peace with God and the peace of God. But if you refuse, if you keep refusing, then of course you remain at war with the mighty God. You have spanned this peace and your end is eternal destruction. But if you are trusting in Jesus, if you have reached that point of total surrender in Christ, then know that the heart of God beats peace for you. God only has thoughts of peace about you. Your war with God has ended. Jesus has made an end of your sin. God is now pleased with you because Jesus has been crucified for you. Yes, God hates the sins you commit. But if you're trusting in him, he's not angry with you, the sinner. Because you are now reconciled to him in Christ. Sometimes we doubt that. When we sin against God, we think God turns his back on us. So what we do, we try and end our way back to God, don't we? Sometimes the pressures of life make us feel that we are so alone. And we have all kinds of different questions that threaten to rob our peace in Christ. Does God know that I'm a mess right now? 
When will God heal my sickness? Will I always suffer from depression? I am really struggling. When will our family start getting along together? How will my mom cope as she gets older? The situation at work is beyond me, and I feel all alone. And there are many other questions many of you have in your heart at the moment. Beloved, whatever your condition, whatever your situation, if you're trusting in Jesus, look at Jesus hanging there for you on the cross. Because you see, Jesus on the cross, that is God looking at you with eyes of peace and love for you. A God who has pursued you to the point of shedding his own blood for you is not about to abandon you. He's enough. He has gone to all this trouble to reconcile you to himself. Why would he abandon you now? Reconciliation with God means you are not alone anymore. You are now under God's care in every situation you are in. And that's a game changer. It's a game changer because, as Stephen Shannock says, reconciliation with God changes the nature of everything. It turns dungeons into palaces and tears into joys. It is a shield against fears, a treasure against poverty, healing against disease, security against danger, and life against death. Shannock is saying because we have peace with God, we now have the peace of God. We can endure hardship because God is our fountain of joy. We can face the most terrible circumstance, the most terrible dungeon, but because we know that our peace with God means everything, and everything is therefore working out for our good in the end. Are you trusting in Jesus today? Keep this truth central. Let it fuel your faith. Resolve to preach this gospel of reconciliation to yourself every day. Read again verse 23. It says this. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul is saying... Whatever situation you are in, continue in Jesus. By how? By not shifting from the gospel. Keep reminding yourself every day that you are reconciled to God in Christ. Preach it to yourself at home. Preach it to yourself at work. Preach it to yourself at school. Let the gospel of reconciliation transform your life. Because if you don't keep coming back to this truth, that Jesus has reconciled us to God by his death, You will not be strong and stable in Jesus. And if your faith is not strong and stable, then you are in danger of not finishing the race. And if you don't finish the race, then you never started it in the first place. Because a reconciled faith is a persevering faith. A persevering faith is a growing faith. A growing faith basks in the joy of Christ, our reconciler. May God help us to grow as a fellowship in loving Christ, our reconciler. Amen.